0: Hello, Annie Mack here. This is the new podcast. And the reason why it exists is because I can't remember anything. I seem to have lost huge swathes of my life. It stressed me out to the point where I went and spoke to a memory expert. And she said I had to quiz my family and friends and get them to share their memories of my life with me so that I can relive my life so I can remember. Every episode of this podcast begins with one of their memories. For this week's memory, we are heading to the White Isle, party island of Ibiza, circa about 2006. This is Finding Annie. Rachel Barton, over to you.
1: I think the one memory that stands out is the first time that you were booked to play in Ibiza. And it was at Amnesia, wasn't it, Um, on the terrace. And I went out there with you, and we kind of came to the DJ booth and stopped. And you kind of looked at me and I looked back at you and and you were like, OK, so, um, so where's the terrace? Where am I playing? And I was like, here we are, Annie, this is it. This is the terrace. And your face just dropped and your eyes went really, really wide. And I kind of looked back at you and I kind of realised actually that this was a massive gig and I hadn't really kind of thought about it from that kind of context because you hadn't really been DJing at this level for very long at that stage but you smashed it like you went on and you got through it and you kept your head down and played great records and then all our friends arrived and we had a dance of all the places I'd seen you play I think it was probably you kind of coming of age a little bit at that point in your career and yeah really amazing gig to watch but like I will never forget the look on your face when I was like this is the terrace oh god
0: one of the most terrifying moments of my DJ career when I thought I was going to be playing a really small terrace you know maybe somewhere like with tables and chairs and fairy lights just a little terrace and I ended up playing in a room the size of an aircraft hangar I did actually cry after that gig from trauma and relief a heady mixture of both the first time I saw a DJ do what a DJ is supposed to do in a nightclub in terms of playing dance music I was 17 years old I was allowed out until 4 a.m. by my parents, and I went to this club called the Temple of Sound with my friends Simon and Keith. And it felt so exciting. I remember dancing all night, walking up the street with Simon and Keith afterwards, feeling like my life had changed forever. And I remember thinking, I want to do that. I want to move people with music. And I tried. I got a pair of decks and a big box of old techno records off my friend Mickey Murphy and spent a summer on the Dole in a loft room trying to learn how to mix. And then I moved to England and became the person who was called upon to play house parties with my terrible decks and my terrible mixer. And then I ended up getting a job at Radio 1 And the job that I got was a dance show. Now, I did not get that job off the basis of being a DJ because I had no professional DJ experience. I got that job because I'd I'd done a lot of radio work. And I did a pilot and they gave me the job based on being a broadcaster. That was when I really got thrown in the deep end. That was when I started to get booked for professional gigs. And I was terrified. You know, I was so scared. I used to write out exactly what I was going to play in what order on a piece of paper. And my boyfriend at the time used to stand behind me and and be like, smile, you've got to smile. Because I'm just very bad at lying with my face. And uh, I was terrified, so I looked terrified. And I'd be like, I can't smile, I'm trying to mix. Every mix felt like the biggest, most important thing in the world, you know, getting it right. And there was a lot of curious people at my gigs in the early days because there wasn't many girl DJs. So there's a lot of people just like, who is this girl? Can she mix? Can You know, can she do the job? And um, that was it. I kind of evolved as a DJ. I got more confident. I stopped having to prepare everything before I went. I stopped having to write down my track list. I went from playing vinyl to playing CDs to now playing off a tiny USB stick that I can bring to a gig in my handbag. And I have no idea how many gigs I've done. But I know that for every gig I remember, there will be about 10 that I have forgotten. And I look back at it now, the kind of 15 years of DJing, and it, it feels like just this big blur of, of, of memories, like, you know, dark motorways and street signs flashing past, of kind of really eerily quiet service stations at three in the morning, where there's always one person playing slot machines. I'm always like, who are you? Why are you here playing slot machines at 4 a.m.? Memories of waking up in the back of a car under a duvet at six, seven in the morning, feeling so rough and climbing into bed. Memories of empty bottles of champagne on the floors of cars. Memories of noise, just walls of noise, people screaming in my face, hands grabbing. And then also memories of feeling uncomfortable, feeling self conscious. And memories of feeling like I'm so tired, I, nothing is achievable, nothing is surmountable. Yeah, it's 15 years of, of madness. It's quite bizarre to think that I've been able to carve out a career from actually playing records to people. I wanted to talk to a good friend of mine called Tiga. He's one of my favourite people to talk to, period, because he's very interesting and very intelligent, a real deep thinker. Also just hilarious. He's got a really funny take on life. He's an artist in his own right. He's had three albums out. He runs a wonderful label called Turbo Recordings. He tours the world constantly. He could be in Milan, Estonia, DC, Melbourne, Zurich, Belfast. You know, he's just everywhere. So... I was really lucky in that he was in London for a couple of days and I managed to snare him and bring him over to my house and get him in the rave shed and have a conversation about DJing and memories. So here it is. Welcome to the podcast, Tiga. Hey, how you doing? It's really nice to have you here, thank you. Considering you live in Canada, it's a big deal. Yeah. I wanted to start, if you don't mind, by kind of the memories I have of you. And me, which is the two times that we've ended up DJing together. One organized, one last minute times. I really, really, really enjoyed the whole process of DJing. And I was trying to figure out why. And I think part of the reason is because, A, we we, we talked a lot during while it was happening. And you've got, you're just funny and you take the piss out of it. And you have an awareness of what we're really doing, which is quite absurd, as in, not, not, yeah. not your awareness, but what we're doing is quite absurd. So what do you remember, first of all, about that Glastonbury gig where me and you DJed live on the Essential Mix at the Hell stage?
2: Oh, my God.
0: You don't have to remember anything.
2: Until you said it. Well, no, the, <laughs> the, uh, the Ibiza one I remember perfectly. Yeah, because that, that was was. That was oh, recent. okay, no, no, no. Okay, now I remember the, the Glastonbury one because yeah. I think that was my first time in Glastonbury. Yeah. And it was, uh, yeah, I do remember. What I remember most about that one was afterwards we had to move from one stage to another. I'd never been there before, and I think it was me, you... Piton. Yeah, we were a group of people, Mm -hmm. I think, I'm pretty sure, and we ended up in this just river of, I don't know, it was quite chaotic, we were moving from one one
0: stage. We were driving, which is a luxury at Glaston. We were in the back of a car, do you remember? We got driven there.
2: See, I think what we might as well tackle right away is memory itself, is the fact that, like, my memory is is really bad. Mm. And it it used to be incredible. So in school and stuff, I, I, I had an incredible memory. I mean, it was it was like my weapon. Wow. I, I didn't have to study. I didn't have to. I could remember, you know, if I read a book, I just remembered everything. Yeah. And I think, and anyway, I think about the whole memory thing a lot. And it's weird because when you told me about the podcast, you know, think of anecdotes or, <laughs> or I, I actually kind of panic a little bit because, like, I know it happened, yeah. but it's hard to
0: conjure it up.
2: It's hard to conjure it up, and it I, it, it worries me because I feel like here is like a parallel I've thought about between DJing and and humor. Which is your wit? Let's say, like how quickly you can make a joke. A lot of it is—it's based on recall, and and a lot of people who really struggle with the distance between, you know, I'm yeah. trying to remember that thing, they're seen as like they're not as witty or yeah. they're not as whatever. But a lot of time, it's simply your your memory. You
0: know. Oh my God, Tiga, I'm fucked because <laughs> I can't remember anything ever. Well, that's I, the whole point of this podcast.
2: But I'm I'm kind of with you. I mean, definitely, the, there's a massive erosion. And I sometimes my biggest concern is not is not like, oh, do I remember you know when I met somebody or my pin code or whatever. It's actually about will I stop being funny
0: that's amazing I've never I've never ever thought of it through that prism yeah. of humor being anything to do with memory,
2: mm.
0: but I get it, and well, I, I really get the DJing <laughs> thing as well because I panic when i'm dJing because I can't remember the songs that I want to play i can I can hear exactly. them but I can't remember what they're called yeah. And I'm like,
2: fuck, fuck, fuck. But also, too, if you think about it, where that also leads in terms of, let's say, like, playlists, you know. But I also think we're we're not, part of it is also, like, the way things work now is that so much stuff is offloaded. Like, when you don't remember your tracks in the same way, it's just extra work because you're not as confident in the playlists and the selections, you know, when you just knew them all. Mm. But also, we have a lot more stuff now to think about.
0: Well, the, one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast is because I started panicking at not being able to remember short-term things like my kid's first word and also long-term things um, like just big, big portions of my childhood, huge parts. And again, I've been trying to examine why. Is it because I, you know, had a great time in my teens and my 20s in nightclubs and indulged in things? Is it because... I've been around fucking loud music all my life. Like, what, what is it scientifically that means that my memory is fucked? I don't know. We, neither of us know. But this is a kind of exploration into trying to remember stuff and trying to explore stuff that has been big and kind of um, prevalent in my life. And DJing has been one of those things. And it's actually been something that I, I kind of fell into, weirdly. It was never, like, the grand plan. But it, it's kind of weirdly defined me. What what do you call yourself when someone asks you at a party? Hey, what do you do?
2: At a party or the immigration office?
0: Or the immigration. <laughs> For
2: me, that's always when I ask people what they do. It's like, what do you say at customs? You know, yeah. what, what do you fill out? What
0: do you form? say? Do you know what I say? I say broadcaster. I do never you? say that's DJ. quite
2: professional. Well, because
0: it sounds pro.
2: Yeah, I I usually just put musician, but because it, it's yes. quite telling. Like this yeah. actually, it re- sometimes I actually put a few times I put artist when yeah. I was feeling quite yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, actually, in moments of real, like just cynical, whatever, I put businessman, <laughs> 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 which I kind of like. I don't know what that is—is like Halloween or something. But, but uh, I put DJs Sometimes I don't know. I come from also. I, love that. I come from like an old time. I'm a little bit where. DJ, as far as crossing borders, DJing was still seen as like a bit shady.
0: So so bit. how did you, what, what happened? How did you how get did into it? Yeah, because I see um, your Instagram posts of you in Goa and like, you were obsessed yeah. from an early age with dance culture, right? Yes.
2: Well, how? I was, um Well, I, I was obsessed with music from really early, yeah. early age and, and not music to play music. I didn't really make even that connection in a weird way. Like I never played piano or anything like that. I never thought about music in that way. But I loved music... Actually, in the way a DJ loves music, I think. You know, like it was more about sharing it with my friends and showing off a little bit and like, oh, I got this and you don't have this. And I was quite obsessive, like in a whatever, you know, you get your favourite record and you Mm. copy the lyrics out and you try to get all the information, you know, like just a a music lover. And my father actually did DJ in Goa.
0: What? I did not know that.
2: Yeah, so that goes back to when I was really... I used to go to... okay. I loved records all the time. I used to go to India every year since I was born. And I was, my parents were part of that, like, uh, not really hippie, but like traveling party scene. Mm. So I did see raves kind of, not exactly as we know them, but the same basic, yeah, pretty much. Mm. I saw raves from the age of like three. Wow. So. (laughs) It was normalized. It was normalized. Yeah, certain things were completely normalized. Like I think the reason I never got, like I've never had any kind of issues with drugs or things because I just saw it constantly from a young age. And it it wasn't, there was absolutely no sense of rebellion. It's never been, there's never been any of that. And then, but even, but I saw the parties and I saw that kind of lifestyle and I saw, you know, people freaking out and escaping and all that hedonist stuff I saw really really young it didn't even really appeal to me so much I wanted to be a (laughs) businessman but uh I don't know that the and I did see my dad and other people DJ but I didn't see it how we you know they were playing cassettes they were DJing there's no question but I didn't see it like that and when it all clicked for me was really when I found like techno music I don't know I was like 16 or 17 and uh I just started to buy these like compilations and then I discovered Rave, which I barely even knew what it was. I just heard the name in some British magazines and stuff like that. And so I think I was 17 and I saw some little clips on TV of a warehouse party or something. And I just decided I was like, that is everything I want to be. And from that point on, it follows very much like the prototypical kind of London 88. Kind of, you know, like the template a lot of people followed, like when I read about the old Danny Ramplings, or the, like that thing of like, you know, first you start a magazine and then you open your own club and then you do a record store. And I did all those things. Yeah. Know, it followed that exact template.
0: Yeah. If, uh, if I was an alien arriving from another planet and I asked you what you did and you said you DJed as well mm. as obviously making music and having a record label and all that, but the, just the actual DJing aspect, how, what would you say it was on a very basic level? How would you describe DJing?
2: I look for music, I pick my... I find the best music I can and I play it for people. Yeah, that's it, really. Mm. For me, really, I'm always trying to find music that I love and then I want to play it for other people.
0: I have a quote here from Peter Hook who says, when you DJ, you're just on your own, which is nice because there's no argument. I disagree with that very, very deeply because when I DJ, there is constant argument. There is loud, noisy argument i have a like, a like a very loud dialogue in your in my head. head
2: oh that's not good though that i
0: struggle with and, and, really? and, and, and yeah because i'm like my relationship with djing has changed so dramatically over the years because unlike you i started out um djing and and kind of just got drunk every time because because it was a way of dealing with with it also i was in my would 20s be, with
2: being nervous or?
0: a way of dealing with being on show Okay. So I didn't have the luxury of starting out mm. with a little slit to look out of, you know, not so. So I DJed. I was straight in at the deep end in front of big crowds, and I've always that is the bit of DJing that I find so so difficult is the self conscious aspect of yeah. being physically on show, which is so different from radio where it's just me, it's my oh, yeah, voice. Uh, so every movement, everything, and especially with phones recently, every mm. just being watched in every way. My voice is so sound like I've got real issues here. But they've become much louder since I've become no, I, a, like a professional. And when I say professional, I mean just, just going into gigs and, and seeing it as really enjoyable but work, you know, and, and I, not drinking.
2: Yeah, well, I party. totally understand. I think the, the let's say, the volume or the amount of conversation in your head, it definitely, you go through phases, you know. I think, I think there's periods where, I, I know for myself, I never thought... Like actually, DJing was an oasis. I'm quite a neurotic person, and yeah. I overthink everything. DJing for me was always a place where I really, well, you didn't, I didn't your mind think wasn't busy. I would say for oh, the first, wow. I would say up until about five years ago, but about five years ago, six years, seven years ago, I did start to think, and in my case, at least, it is a hundred percent a negative thing. It's a hundred percent like it. It has not. It has not. It's made me a worse DJ. Not. Mm. A, not. And just because most of the thoughts are are. Garbage. It's mostly indecision about tracks. It start. You start to overthink. It was for me. It was never about uh, being on stage. Like I've never. I was never up. I was quite. I was yeah. never like uptight about that. Yeah. Doesn't mean I was super. I was never super confident about it. I've never been super comfortable. I mean, the arms have never. Past the shoulder length. <laughs> you've
0: never taken your top off and jumped off the trestle we top table. Off. Never, well, but it's funny how
2: <laughs> we never know. But it's so crazy how we see ourselves so differently. Like I see you. What I see, you're like, you're like a showman.
0: Yeah, but that's because both of the times that you've DJed with me, I've been hammered. Ibiza, I was drunk because I was nervous. Glastonbury, I was on another planet. That was when I uttered the immortal words to you, this is like poetry. <laughs> when I de- I'd segue two records, I remember the records as well. It was like a Daniel Avery record into a Manor Tough mix of something. And I was like, babe, this is poetry. And my boss at Radio 1 has never let me forgive it because I walked to the front of the stage and did a kind of messianic pose like oh, wow. some sort of like D- rock star DJ Snake or what's happened to me about, I like that that was no, that for me that. is DJing that I love because I'm not in my own I'm just I, I'm not thinking at all so it's yeah. kind of I, I need to reach that place without having to get drunk or you know what I mean I
2: never you want to say people can't believe this but I never had a sip of alcohol probably for my first uh 6,000 shows and now, and actually, it happened very recently. I mean, the thing is, I guess this is just obvious, but y- you know, you drink if you have a reason to drink. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it works, well, right? Like, yeah. I never, I never was self conscious or you didn't nervous. Need to or didn't to No, anything. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And now, every once in a while, I'll drink a little yeah. bit. But
0: now, when I drink, I I notice it. Like, if I have a th- one vodka tonic, right, a single vodka tonic during my set, do you know what it does to me? It makes me tired. Mm. And because I'm a mom and I have to, I'm tired going into it. You don't need that. You don't need the the extra. No, it actually tires out my body. So I don't drink that out of kind of self-preservation because I want to feel energized to finish the gig till three in the morning or four in the morning.
2: I feel like everything I do now is in search of self-preservation. Oh my
0: God, we're so old.
2: (laughs) I feel like every single decision is to, to get one tiny little volt of extra energy.
0: I have another quote for you. Sure. This one is from Avicii. It says, I'm a DJ. I get the party started. Have you ever had a situation where you have failed to get the party started and, or oh, something yeah. that's stayed in your head that you'll never be able to kind of...
2: Oh, of course. ...lose? I don't know the specifics, but for me, the, one of the biggest challenges is just, you know, a lot of the time you feel you're not necessarily in the right place. Yeah. And I've always really envied, you know, like the Carl Cox approach, where it's like, I don't think it matters so much what place. He just, he finds a way, his versatility and his energy kind of just, he makes it the right place. Yeah. And I'm not particularly good at that, I don't think. I I
0: feel you on that.
2: Because also a lot of things, you know, it's an interesting thing, like the thing you said about "let's get the party started," Avicii, or these people who get up and do their messianic pose or mm. stand up on the. Mm. It's there's really two ways of looking at it. A lot of people make fun of them, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are like, "Oh, like that's somehow gauche," or like it's too, it's it's cheesy or whatever. But I also, I, I actually don't look at it. Like that. I think it's like it's kind of cool that they're so
0: uninhibited,
2: uninhibited, yeah. and and that that's really what it is is it's just about having fun it's just that it really is that you know and I actually remember once I was DJing this seems absurd now but I remember in Australia it was some just enormous fest it was like 25,000 people and it was me and Calvin Harris and this is oh yeah and this is I mean Calvin wasn't like the giant pop thing but he was pretty close and I just remember like So there we are seemingly, you know, as far as the public is concerned, you're you're at a similar level. You're playing for the same amount of people. And I remember I played like, I was playing essentially underground records, you know, essentially just like weird underground techno records and like maybe one of my own. And I could clear, I mean, clearly the crowd was, I don't know, at best annoyed maybe even (laughs) disappointed, you know, like it just wasn't, it's just not what they, it's not what they really wanted, you know. And then I remember Calvin came on and it was like just hits, you know, just giant hits. And I remember getting off stage and clearly in my mind being like, okay, like that's a fork in the road. It's like you either, you either deliver what they want or you're not going to be playing in these situations, you know. And anyway... I think it's easier now.
0: I mean, it is because, well, especially with festivals, you know, festivals are now sadly surpassing clubs in terms of where people choose to go, especially in the UK. Um, So festivals have got good at knowing how to book DJs and and, and that kind of thing. But
2: why? DJing became the performance of our time for all kinds of reasons. And also, I think the fact that the music works in jakarta and singapore and everywhere you know it's mostly whether it's instrumental or that it's just brain dead you know whatever it is there's just so many things that made the dj and he travels alone well, that's the thing and there's no cost costs. there's
0: no costs yeah. you and just roll up with your usb stick think of that compared to a band
2: well the business model is just is just ridiculously appealing So that also starts to entice more and more young kids. Starts to get more and more people in on every end of it, whether that's aspiring DJs or whether that's promoters. And DJing also too, I want to come back to a word that I have a, I don't know why I have a conflicted relationship with this, but fun, right? (laughs) You are
0: (laughs) so funny.
2: Well, this is something I think when I talk to you in Ibiza, I, and it's so funny because afterwards I listened back to the podcast with, with my wife and she was like, she's like, what is wrong with you? Like to me, she's like, don't you get it? Like you of all people, you're, you are at parties every night of your life. Don't you get what everyone else gets? That it's just about having fun. There's no, there's no, there's no sequence of questions that come after that. It's just everyone wants to have fun. I
0: mean, I guess I'm pretty good at that. I've got like a childish instinct, and I work for a youth radio station and all all, that. we
2: all have a natural tendency to be kids in this industry. I mean, we definitely you never
0: have to grow up if you don't want to.
2: Well, well, listen, look, we can put it in really simple terms. You, we change as people. We are different people. Like we evolve as people, forget, forget our job or DJing or the culture as people, especially when we're talking about massive amounts of time, we're not talking about, this hasn't happened over 18 months. This is, this is like, and this is, these are giant changes. I'm a completely, I'm an incredibly different person than I was, the things I want. So we, we, we're just changing. And so the question is, will you change too much? You know, will you, will you, will you change? evolve whatever to pass the point that that still makes sense for you
0: what this is my measure right my measure is if you said to me right now you're never djing again okay would i be okay (laughs) would i be all right and i think i would be all right yeah but i would be i would miss the actual act of playing records and being on the decks and being creative with records and
2: that's what you'd miss
0: i'd miss the act yeah that's the bit that i love
2: oh i would never miss that
0: you wouldn't? No. I would miss that aspect of it.
2: I've done it enough. No, the thing I think I would miss is, uh, I think I just miss contact with people. Yeah. I think I would miss the immediacy of like actually having a crowd in front of you. And there's just like a realness in that, you know, whether, certainly if you're playing your own records. And that's something that we, DJs really take for granted. Like we're very, very spoiled that we have that on a regular basis where you can just, you get, you really see and feel how people react to music. I think maybe you keep going until either nobody wants you anymore or you just physically can't take it or you have the courage or the determination to really jump into something else full on.
0: Mm. What is what is the future of DJing?
2: I don't really see a reason why it would end or change that much, really. I think there'll be some minor cycles. Like Obviously, in different countries, club culture gets under threat or... I mean, obviously it gets more and more mainstream and then there's a super underground, but I don't know. When I fell in love with the whole thing in like 93, something that's nice about being young too, it's it's the feeling of utter conviction. You know, when you're a hundred percent sure that something is so incredible and amazing that it will last forever. And since that moment, because there's been loads of cycles where, you know, where there was electronica, and then there was, you know, is it going to make it in the States? And then there was, you know, there'd been every few years, there's this thing. And in my mind, from that first day, there was never any doubt that eventually, you know, everybody in the world would be going out to parties every night, you know. I don't see why it would change.
0: Tiga, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, man, I feel like I could chat to Tiga for a week. It wasn't long enough, nowhere near long enough. I just love his takes, his hot takes on life. Such an interesting guy to speak to, and I just so enjoyed speaking to him. It was kind of like a therapy session, to be honest. Next week, we are going on a big, big journey over to Ireland. Um, I am so proud of being Irish and I love talking about it and I love exploring my sense of identity when it comes to Ireland. And I've got an amazing guest in the form of Imelda May, one of Ireland's biggest and most loved artists. She's an incredible singer. She's an amazing character. She's a serious Dubliner. Who now lives in England and we've got a lot to talk about. Especially if you're singing traditional stuff and you start singing, I don't know, sweet 16. I think
1: mm-hmm. even Finn Barfury gets it, you know, and they'll go, Oh no, <laughs> that's song. You
0: can't sing that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right, always sings that. <laughs> you go, that's Oh the sorry, I didn't sorry, know people claim songs that's like, oh no, that's horse song. So yeah, see you next week. It's all things Ireland.